Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. Hello, everybody. How are you today? My name is Justin Clifton. Uh, most people just call me J. Cliff. I've pretty much been J. Cliff all my life. Uh, I'm sure most of you guys have seen me before out uh, greeting or uh, around the church in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, Jamar, uh, I'll be basically taking uh, Jamar's place today as I bring the word with you guys. Uh, Jamar hit me up about a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, hey, uh, I need a favor, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and he said, um, I, need you to, uh, I need you to preach on this Sunday. And I said, I said uh, let me think about it. Let me pray about it, Lord. And, um, and so I took the time. I prayed about it, and I felt the Lord was calling me to do it. And I called him up, and I said, sign me up. And so today we're going to uh, just keep going in with the journey in, this, in, the, in the book of Acts that we've been on. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. Verses 11 through 41. So we got a long haul to cover right here. But um, it's going to be a good time. And just to recap from last week. So last week, Jamar, he came in and he talked about how we need to be equipped in the word. And how Paul had came to Ephesus and um, how we need, when we are in the word, that we need to be filled with the word. And we need to follow the word, all right? It was a point one that he made and how we need to have the word oriented around our lives and how we need to use the word to fill us up. Right? Second point he made was we need to learn the word with community. We don't, it's not good to learn the word by yourself. It it's sometimes can lead to gaps in your knowledge and things that you learn about the word. It's better to, to learn the word in the community so you can feed off one another and grow together. Third point he made was sharing is the foundation of evangelism. So if you don't, if you remember... Uh, last week as he was talking, he was talking about Apollos and how Apollos was sharing and all he knew, he, he knew Christ and he knew uh, what he knew and all he did was just share what he had. And uh, even though he didn't have the full ramifications of everything and didn't have all the knowledge, all the, the base thing about uh, the faith is sharing uh, what you do know about the gospel and about Jesus. And so uh, he's, we're still at Ephesus and um, as you remember, if, if you remember what Jamar said, Ephesus is a population of about 200 to 300,000 people, a lot of people. I don't know if you can picture 200 to 300,000 people in one space. I could just imagine how traffic would be in Jonesboro if it was 200 to 300,000 people. But uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesus. And in Ephesus also, uh, the big religion there or the uh, thing that they worshiped there was a lady named, uh, or a statue or a goddess that they would call Diana um, in the uh, Latin word uh, in the Bible, we'll see her named as Artemis. And Artemis is a fertility god or a fertility goddess. And um, uh, the way that you would worship her is you would show up to the temple and it would be a temple prostitution going on and all these things and you would partake in these things. And then um, also just the other ways that you would do is, of course, through worshiping and money and all these things. And so we're going to see um, how that plays a role in today's message as well of how Ephesus is going to be struggling in all these areas with idolatry and how they're going to be struggling uh, with the magic that is going on. There's a lot of magic in this place. They're going to be struggling with just uh, the manipulating of the gospel and all these things. So we're going to be able to see that and we're going to be able to come into this because of the work that Paul has done in Ephesus over the last two and a half years, three, two and a half, three years. So we're coming to the back end of his time at Ephesus, and uh, so we'll get to see the effects of the gospel. So the title of today's message is When the Gospel is Preached in Power. And so we'll get to see that when the gospel is preached in power, you have to respond to it no matter what. The gospel requires a response. And so what we'll look through, the first, the first point we'll look at is uh, it will be manipulated by people. The second point we'll look at is it'll be opposed by people who promote sin. And the third point and final point that we will look at is it will be ignored by political opposition, all right? So 
uh, if you, I hope you had an opportunity to find Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 41. I'm going to jump in. Like I said, we have a long call, so we got to get into it. All right. So Acts chapter 19, verse 11 reads as follows. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the disease. And the disease, excuse me, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, was doing this. And the evil spirit answered them and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil and the man who was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they had fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was going mightily and prevailing. So that's a lot in this first movement. This first movement is really jam-packed with a lot of stuff. And... uh, when I first read this, I was like, this is one of the most interesting pieces uh, that I've read in a long time. And I think it's very, very important to analyze the way that, that Luke uh, set this up. Dr. Luke, when he's writing this, he sets it up in a very strategic way. So you can see a stark contrast between Paul, the Jewish exorcist, and the people who are coming into the faith. And so if you look at me in verse 11, it talks about God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Right. And so Paul is basically not even it says Paul ain't even really present at this time. You know, like he's doing these things, he's doing miracles. But then there's another part where he didn't even have to be there in verse 12. It says so the handkerchiefs of aprons were even carried from his body. So these these people have handkerchiefs and, you know, just, you know, some people blow the nose in the handkerchiefs and get it all dirty, do all that. So, they, you know, I don't know if that's the case with this, but, you know, I could assume. And so he took, you know, they take these handkerchiefs and they took. It says his apron, and so the scholars believe the apron was just a waistband that they, Paul would probably have around his gown or a robe to keep it tight so it wouldn't, you know, go all over the place. And so they would take these things and they would bring them to people who were sick and would bring it to people that um, had evil spirits with them. And it says whenever they touched it, the evil spirits would leave them immediately. A wonderful work of God. Only God could do such a thing. And this is not the first time that we see any type of work like this in the, in the Word of God. You see it all throughout Acts. Acts has mil- multiple accounts of, of these things happening from where uh, Philip gets up and preaches. And just from Philip preaching in Acts, uh, him just preaching the Word, evil spirits are coming out of people and people are getting healed. You see earlier is also it, when, when Peter is uh, in Acts is, is basically laying the hands on people and people are getting healed and and, uh, exorcist, and he's basically calling evil spirits out of these people. And not only that, you see in the Gospels in Luke, and every, every, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know this, when, when Jesus was walking through the crowd and the lady that was sick grabbed on to Jesus' robe and immediately she was healed. So you see these things and you see the power of God going on in Ephesus in this moment. And you see how Paul is set up to be used by Christ through Christ and the Gospel is furthering into Ephesus. And then you go from this movement and you go into this crazy, crazy uh, scene that happens next where these Jewish exorcists show up. And I say uh, they, the sons of Sceva, but I say the sons of scheming. That's what I call them. They scheming. They were scheming in this sense. So who are the Jewish exorcists, right? That's what I often was asking myself as I was reading this. And uh, the scholars say the Jewish exorcists were just these people that would basically perform whatever they had to do, do whatever they had to do. They would use magic. They would use spells. They would use whatever name they had to use to get the job done. But they, all, they also did it for their glory. And if you remember, if you remember in the, from, last, from last sermon last week, uh, Paul, when he shows up to Ephesus, he goes to the Jews 
and, and he tries to preach the gospel to them. He tries to share the gospel with them. And the Jews hardened their heart and rejected God. And they rejected the gospel. And so Paul left from there and he went to the theater. And when he started going to the theater, he was sharing the theater and the city started getting in, getting in and, and accepting the gospel there. So these Jewish guys, they, ha they don't know, they don't want anything to do with the gospel. But I find it super ironic that these same guys that didn't want to do anything with the gospel are now using the name of the Lord to cast out demons. And you see it turn back on them immediately. And so I'm going to give you the contemporary version of when I read this. When I read this the first time, I was like, man, you know, this is crazy. And then I was like, you know, my, my mind just kind of visualized it. So I'm going to give you what my mind visualized when I read this. It was so if you look at starting in verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus who pauper So in my mind, I'm seeing they, they, they get together, maybe, you know, the sons of Sceva and the Jewish exorcists, you know, they may be sitting in a room, you know, and they like, you know, you know, I think it would be a good day today to go out here and just get these evil spirits out of people, you know. And one of them look at another and they're like, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. And another one look at another one like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to do that. Let's roll. And, you know, you got the one person that just, just follow the crowd. So he's like, I'll roll with you, too. So all seven of them, they go up here and they say, you know what? They come, in, they come across to me and they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of this man. And the truth is, they did not believe in Jesus. They did not follow Jesus. They didn't even know who Jesus really was. And so when this happens, the, this evil spirit looks at them First off, me personally, I wouldn't be there in the first place. But when this person, when the evil spirit looks at them, he says, I know Jesus. I heard of Paul. I know about Paul. But, but who are you, right? Who are you, right? That, that probably could be the most frightening thing ever to hear from an evil spirit. But and when that happened, it says, let me stop right there. When, when that happens, you realize there that there's more to knowing about Jesus than just hearing about him. Because obviously they knew about Jesus or they heard about Jesus from Paul's preaching in the theaters and Paul preaching around Ephesus. But they didn't have a full grasp and a, and a full understanding of the relationship with Christ. Why do I say that? Well, there's a different, there's all type of levels of no. We all have different types of level of knowing somebody. In today's culture, it's all about who you know, right? Who do you know? Who do you know, right? And I say, for me, for example, I'm a football guy. I love football. I played football for a long time in my life. And so I'm going to use this example. If I say, you know, I know Tom Brady, right? Like, me, I know Tom Brady. Does that, does that mean, like, I know exactly what he's thinking, what, how he lived his life? how he goes about his day, do I know like what he likes to eat, do I know all these things? I may can search somebody and find some of the answers, but that don't mean I actually know Tom Brady to a T. I just know about Tom Brady, right? I have a wife, but if I say I know my wife, and I know exactly what, I know what ticks my wife off. I know, I know what instantly gets her mad, right? I know, I know the things that uh, uh, make my wife, you know, happy. I know like all these things. Why? Because I have a personal relationship with my wife. Whereas these guys, they did not have a personal relationship with Christ. And so they were just using his name to manipulate and do these things just so they can get their own satisfaction and greed out of this. Right? And so you see it backfire on them. And I like to say they got a good old beating. They got, some, people used to, some people say they got the brakes beat off of them pretty bad. Right? And so you see in, in verse... You see in verse uh, 15, it says, And the evil spirit answered and said them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And verse 16 says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped, up, leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, I want you to picture this, right? Because I was trying to picture this for a long time. This is seven dudes. This is like seven dudes. This ain't like you know, one or two or maybe three, you know. You know, usually, you know, like if you're getting jumped, you know, you might be able to fight off two people. But seven dudes could not control this evil spirit. Seven dudes, as it's, the text says, got beat up so bad that it stripped the clothes off of them and they were wounded all over, right? And it literally caused such a, it caused such a, uh, uh, up, well, not an upward, but it caused such a, 
a shift in the community and the culture in Ephesus. And you would think that it would be the opposite, but the, but the response to this is, is wonderful. You see the fear of the Lord growing and the, and the respect and the honor for the Lord growing amongst the people. And so we'll see the next movement, and we're going to go from this to now Paul. I mean, you go from Paul to now this, this Jewish exodus, and now you see the result of all this, and you get a comparison of the two because you see Paul is working strictly with miracles. And miracles are, and there's a difference between miracle and magic. Miracles are strictly from God. and it's God, So I wrote it down in my notes as this. Miracles are... Miracles are God's divine nature working through somebody in his sovereign act alone. Magic is, people would say, is, to, is used to manipulate the gods, quote unquote, to manipulate the gods. Or you use some type of spell or it's a formulaic type of result that you get. It's not a thing that's, that's coming from God. So it's a stark contrast that Dr. Luke does here when he's Comparing these two, he's showing you that this is Paul and this is strictly from God. And these are these Jewish exorcists that are trying to manipulate God and use him. And then the response from that is, is like I said, glorious. When you read on, we move down to verse, we move down to verse 17. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And it's being magnified so much that these people started coming and they started burning their books. These people started coming and they started giving away the things that they had. But I want you to catch what's going on in verse 18. Because a lot of, when I first read this, I, missed, I, I skipped over it. But when you read this, this is not just regular people that are just going and saying, I'm done with this magic. It's a, the, script, the, the scripture says, many also of those who had believed these guys had already had a faith. These people had already had a belief in Christ. These people had already, give, had already professed to be believers and to know who Christ was. And it said these people had came and gave their life. I mean, and, and gave, came and gave up their magic deals and gave up their books. So these, this is a, a real big step for a lot of people because you see where it's a transition between I'm still trying to hold on to things. I'm still trying to keep things in the back. But no, I, when, once I get a, a good perspective and gain a real knowledge of who Christ is and I continuously grow in my relationship, I realize that it's better for me to hand things over to him, to, to, want, to one, get closer to him and to grow my relationship with him. And so you see these believers, they come in they're like, I'm done with this. I call it a good old bonfire. They had a good old bonfire out there. They got all the, they got all the magic books and they just threw them out there and they said, you know, we're going to burn these up. And as they're out there, the one, one person decides, you know, they're going to count it up. And so as they're out there, you see many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and closing their practice. And many of those who practiced magic bought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted it up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, 50,000 pieces of silver, if I was to break it down to you like this, it's the same as... So back then, 50,000 pieces of is a lot of money, a lot of money. Like the, the scholars say 50,000 pieces of silver is enough to feed 500, I mean, enough to feed 100 families for 500 days. That's how much money is. That's how much money and how much worth these magic books were. Enough to feed 100 families for 500 days. That is a lot of money, right? And it goes to show you that these guys didn't care about it anymore. The only thing they wanted was Christ. A lot, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was going through college, a lot of guys would share with me the gospel all the time. And I would be like, yeah, man, I, I love the God. I love the Lord. I do all this. But I still had this one little, you know, don't touch my football, you know. I love football. Don't touch football, you know. Keep this over here. Don't, you know. But I still, you know, you know, I still come up there. I still do what you want me to do. I do all this. But I still had this one thing that I didn't want to let go. And oftentimes, as believers, we struggle with this. We struggle to let to completely surrender it all to Christ when, we, when we're constantly holding on to things. And so, uh, one of the guys broke it down to me like this. He was like, imagine if God came up to you with an empty hand and he said, here, give me that. And he had another thing behind his back. And he's like, you know, give me this. And, and then when you, until you give him that, 
he replaces it with, his, with, with something else. Uh, and he explained it to me like, the, I don't know if you guys have seen this, the big, the teddy bear meme, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a teddy bear meme where this like, dad is like holding back, holding this huge teddy bear behind his back and he's talking to his kid and he's like, you know, hand me over that. And it's like something that's so small just to give you this reward of something that's so much bigger. And that's what I believe these believers in this moment is seeing. They are seeing that I want what God has offered and what God has offered is so much better than this little thing that I have right now. Right. And so you see this unfold. And after this unfolds, it says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. This is how much. So, like I said, this we are coming to the end of Paul's two and a half, three year span here at Ephesus. And this is how much the gospel is impacting and going into the culture of Ephesus. It is, it is literally changing the culture of Ephesus so much that the people are changing their hearts and their minds. But as you all know, not everybody's going to be happy about the fact that you gave your life to Christ or that you're turning over a new leaf. Not everybody's going to be happy about the fact that you have found this new hope, that you, you're happy now, you're joyful. And you should expect opposition from that. And that's, that leads to the next, the next section today. The next section is, it will be opposed by people who promote sin. And so this next session, section, we're going to see some people that basically didn't want anything to do with Christ, and they wanted to stick, with their, own, stick their own deals, and they let greed and all these other things get a hold of them and allow the enemy to use them for, for worse. So if you pick up in verse 21, it says, now, after these things were finished, Paul proposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. But at that time, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods at all. Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. So in this section right here, it is, it is really a kicker into what's going to go on to the next session. You see, starting off in, the, in verse 21, how Paul is basically saying to himself, he's basically praying and he's getting into the spirit. He's getting one with the spirit. And as he's doing this, he's aligning his will with God's. As believers, we shall all be, be constantly doing this. We shall always, always be aligning our wills with God. We shall always be praying to God. We should always be doing these things. And so as Paul is doing this, he gets in his mind, you know, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going after to, after a while, I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to Macedonia. Then I'm going to go to Ikea. And then I'm going to go to Rome. Now, I want you to catch the transition between 21 and 23. 21 and 23 is literally a big, a big deal. And it leads to the next section very, very, like, it's, it's a very key point. So if you look at 21, it says, at the end of 21, it says, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. So why is that? I ask myself all the time. So we, I was discussing this. I was like, why is it that it, after Paul had said to himself in the spirit and got aligned with the will of God, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way? And I, as I look at it and I look at it and you read it, you see that he says he's going to go to Rome. Well, the thing is, at this time, Rome is in control of everything. Rome is, in, Rome is in control of all of Asia, all of all the minor parts of Asia, and all these things. And so, if the enemy knows if Paul can get if Paul can get to Rome, he can get to all the other places because Rome is what's influencing everything. And so, you see, as soon as Paul gets aligned with the Spirit, he says, "I'm going to go to Rome." The enemy is like, "No, uh, no, you're not. We we gonna make sure we we mess this up right now. We are gonna get this real murky and real muddy right now." 
And so what does he do? He attaches, the enemy goes and he manipulates and gets his hands into things and he uses a guy named Demetrius. And so Demetrius jumps in the picture and Demetrius is basically a silversmith. And so his job is make, he's making these statues of Artemis, the, the, the fertility goddess that they worship here at Ephesus. And, and what he does is he, he gets himself to a point where he's realizing his money in his pocket is getting funny. He says, you know, my money getting funny. I got to do something about this. And so what he says to himself, he's like, I'm going to go get some other people that do the same thing as me, and we're going to get together, and we need to make sure we stop this guy, Paul. And so they all get together, and when they get together, he, you can see that he's, de- he's strictly talking about money. He's talking about money, and then he masks it, he masks it with Artemis, the religion, that he, the, the idolatry that he has. And so you get a mixture of, of money and idolatry, and it's an easy way for the enemy to manip- manipulate you in any way you want you, in any way he can, right? And so you see automatically that Demetrius' heart and his treasure was money and idolatry. And it's a, it's a, it's a horrible thing to, to place, your, place your faith, your time, and everything you have in money and wealth and in idolatry because you're playing a very dangerous game in both of those. Because any one of those things, one, money can let you can go up and go down. It can let you down at any point. And idolatry, these, these handmade things aren't real in the first place. And so when these things aren't real and you put your faith in them, you, you're honestly letting yourself down and you're leaving yourself open for the enemy. And so you look at and that, that's what brings me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. You'll see that this right here is talking strictly about the hearts of God, hearts of us. And Jesus is talking and he's preaching this and he says, do not store up your for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be a, will be a light. Meaning if, if, if what I see and what is going on and what I see day to day, if that's all I see, it's going to filter how, how I look at the world, how I go about my day. If it's dark, it's going to make everything that's come out of me dark. It's gonna, it was down, as Jamar would say, it was down in the wheel, comes up in the bucket. And so if you look at that and it keeps, it keeps on going, it says, how, if... if it says, if then the light that is in, the, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Right? And then go on and it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Right? And so you see this, you see this as it plays out in Demetrius, how he's easily manipulated by the enemy because he is focused one on wealth and then also the idolatry part. So the enemy uses him immediately, and, he, and, and basically, it, from Demetrius, Demetrius goes and he drags along other guys with him. And from that, you see a whole turn of events going to happen in this next section. You see a whole bunch of rioting, a whole bunch of people shouting, a whole bunch of people doing all type of crazy things because of the enemy being allowed to use one person. And so it leads me to my last point. It'd be a it will be ignored by political opposition. Now, I tried my hardest not to make this political. As I was studying, I was like, I'm not gonna make this political. I was like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. And as I was studying, I was like, I just can't not do it. It's just this, it's here in the text. And, and so as we look and dive into this text, you're gonna see a lot, of, a lot of moving pieces. And so we're gonna jump in at verse 28, and we're going to read all the way to 41. So there's a lot going on right here. So in verse 28 says, When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him to venture into the theater, not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing, 
and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motion with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry rose from them all as they shouted and for about two hours, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesians is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of the temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real reason for it, and in this connection we will be unable to account for their disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the crowd. Now, so another jam-packed section right here. And you see a lot of moving parts with this. And so it starts off with basically after Demetrius and them have that meeting, they go get everybody riled up. And after everybody gets riled up, they start, the city starts screaming, greatest Artemis of Ephesians, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, greatest Artemis of Ephesians. They just yelling it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And so you see a shift in the town from what was just happening with the burning of the Bibles. I mean, sorry, excuse me, not the Bible. The burning of the magic books. You see them burning the magic books and you see people coming to Christ. And then on the flip end of this, you see people are now struggling with the idolatry again. They're struggling with all the things that are going on in the city. They are struggling with the norms of the culture that is going on in Ephesus. And so they, what they do is they say, you know, we, I don't know if they couldn't find Paul. We don't know if they was looking for Paul or not, but they ended up finding his companions. And so they drug the companions into the theater where, they, where Paul would, would usually preach at and all these things. And they drug them in there. And as they drug them in there, a lot of people say that they drug them in there basically to, to, process, to persecute them and, and cause them harm or whatever. And, but all these things are going on in this theater. And so Paul is trying to get in. And as Paul is trying to get in, this is the only time we actually get to see Paul in this text as far as like actually involved in something. And Paul is trying to get in. Paul is trying to get in. And his disciples are urging him not to go in. And so as his disciples are urging him not to go in, Paul is still trying to get in, obviously, because then even the Asiarchs are trying to, to, uh, trying to influence Paul not to go in. And this is the last time we hear about Paul. And so who are the Asiarchs? So the Asiarchs are basically they would call them like city councilmen or these people would be over like city day-to-day things around the town. And they would, they would usually serve for a one-year term. And after the one-year term is over with, they had the opportunity to be reelected, and they would handle a lot of the business financial things that go around with, with the money and taxes and all these things. So these people were higher up. They were wealthy men. And the, and the scholars in the Bible does not say that these men were believers. They did, the, the disciples of Paul were actually believers, but it does not say that the Asiarchs were actually believers. And, but even if they were believers or not, they, had, they must have heard the gospel at some point for them to be friends with Paul where they must have known who Paul was to a point to where they told him not to come in, right? And so you see this unfold. And another thing that you will see is that you will see as they come in, you will see that um, they, the crowds are in there together, and they're yelling, they're shouting, they're doing all these things. And it says, some of them didn't even know why they was there. Some of them are just sitting there, you know, I guess I'm just going to follow the crowd. Or I'm just going to be here with everybody else. And then some of them, you know, were actually there and they was confused, but they just joined in and they just kept going. And then some of them was just there just to watch. And so you have the whole city going around doing this. And I couldn't help but think this is, if you look at our country in the past year, this is literally what's been going on for the past year. People are just mad and angry and they're shouting, they're doing this confusion going around. There's a lot of things going around. And while this is happening, it is taking the light off the gospel. When all this is going on, it's taking everything that Paul has been working there and doing in the life of the of life of Ephesus and the people there, and it's casting it over to something else instead of what it should be about, and that's the gospel. 
And so they are completely ignoring the gospel at this moment. And so you see from there that as they go on, the Jews decide to throw in a guy named Alexander. So who is Alexander? And why did the Jews do this? Because if you remember, like I said earlier, the Jews did not have, didn't want anything to do with what Paul was preaching in Ephesus. And so why, was the, why would the Jews throw in Alexander? They, I, I, I was reading this, I was like, they think they're sneaky, but they're not. Because, you know, obviously the, the scholars believe that they threw Alexander up there to make a case that they had nothing to do with the Christianity faith. That this is nothing that had, they, they had nothing to do with the riots that was going on. They had nothing to do with what Paul was doing. All to more to throw gas onto the fire so they would go get Paul. And so scholars believe this is what they were doing at this time. And so when, when Alexander gets up there, he gets up there and immediately the people in Ephesus, they see this and they're like, they didn't care whether he was a, a Christian or a Jew or not. The, and this shows you the, the, the racial tension in this moment, because as soon as they recognized he was a Jew, they just shouted again and said, great is the Ephesian of Artemis. And you see it in verse, oh, sorry, lost my and you'll see it in verse 34. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry rose from the hall, and they shouted for about two hours. Two hours. for You've you got to be dedicated, one, to stand up for two hours and shout, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it says, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk, in verse 35, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk stepped in and said, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the guardian of the temple, that the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven pause? Now, if you're a believer, a red flag should pop up in your head immediately as soon as you read that. If you're a, you a believer, as soon as he says, the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven, automatically, all your alerts and everything, your attendance and everything should pop up in your head. Why? Because if you remember strategically, specifically what Jesus says about things that fell down from heaven, it's only a few things that fell down from heaven. And you will see it if you look in Luke 10, chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, you will see where Jesus talks about seeing Satan fall down from heaven like lightning and a third of his angels fall down. You'll, you'll read these accounts in the Gospels that Jesus is talking about this. And it says in Luke 10, 18, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning, right? And so in this, in this section, I, I brought this to light because we, a lot of times we don't think that people are still doing this today. People still worship things that fall from heaven today. I'm, I'm going to give you a little deal. You can go home and research it if you want to. But if you go overseas over to Eastern Europe now in the Islamic culture and the Muslim culture, they worship this deal called the black, it's called the black stone in Mecca. If, you're putting, if you want to put in your notes and research, it's called the black stone in Mecca. And what they believe is this black stone fell down from the heavens. And what they do is they set it up in the mosque in the corner and they literally go up to it, praise it, worship it, bow down to it. And they kiss on this stone and they show worship and admiration for it. And so it's, it's not like this, like this, these same things are going on today. There's kind of other things that people are so fascinated with things that fall from the heaven. And the truth is, it's only one thing that, you, that you, you should be fascinated from, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and so when he says this, immediately you, you should know, I can't fool with this. I can't fool with none of this man got to say. I can't fool with none of this man got to talk about. And not only that, so I said this in nine o'clock series. I might as well go and say it again. So this city clerksman, as we read, you're going to be like, man, the city clerksman, he, he might be a right guy. You know, he, he ain't too bad. He tried to quiet the crowd down. He tried to, you know, Make sure everything was right. But the city clerksman is a big reason for what's going on right now. In, well, what, not right now, but what's going on in Ephesus at this time. Because the truth is, the city clerksman had an opportunity to see people come to faith, but he completely ignored it. And not only that, instead, of, it, it looks like he's being a good guy and all these things, but he's, be, he's basically covering himself and he's tucking his own tail and just trying to stay neutral. While, while all at the same time trying to make sure that he keeps his job and keeps everything safe. And we're going to dive into that as you see. And so as you keep on reading in verse 36, he says, So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash, for you have bought these men here who are, who are neither robbers of the temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. 
So that statement at the end of blaspheming our goddess is they that, that's true. They were blaspheming the goddess. When you stand up and you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the light, no one gets to him except through no one gets to the Father except through Jesus Christ, you are saying that everything else is not real. It's just, when you make that de- declaration, you are saying that Artemis is fake. You're saying that, the, that this is, I'm, I'm basically saying that your God that you got over there in your corner in your little statue is not real. All right? And so this, this is what's going on here in this moment. He's saying that, you know, they didn't make a, they didn't say they blasphemed God, but the truth is they did. The truth is they were, and the truth is they continue to. And so if you keep rolling, you see him point out Demetrius, the one that started all this debacle and all the mess. He pointed out Demetrius. He said, Demetrius, you know that if you have a really, if you, if you have a real complaint, you need to take this to a real court of law and, not, and stop trying to do this illegally. And so I love, I love this part because Dr. Luke didn't write down Demetrius said anything back after this. So Demetrius just, you know, he probably just took, took his tail too and hide off in the corner because he knew he was in the wrong for starting this mess in the first place. And so after you see that go through, he, sa- he says in 38, so then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the pro are available, let them bring charges against one another. Now, in this next part right here in verse 30, 39, you will see where I, why I say that he was just more worried about tucking his own tail and, and, and make sure he's not in trouble. Because so back in this day, since the Romans ruled everything, they had this law called the Pax Romana, and me, meaning the peace of Rome. If you, if you in a, or anybody that lived in a city broke, broke these deals or disturbed the peace, you know, they call it disturbing the peace. If you disturb the peace of Rome, they would come down and they would come down hard and they would let you know about it. And, they, and even to the point, the people who, the person who is leading that city, so this city clerking right here, they would even have him executed. They would kill him or they would even or move him away from the situation or move or fire him from his job. And, 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 he, and basically he would not have a job and wouldn't have a home and anything or the benefits of the Rome anymore. And so... You see in this movement, he's saying, like, look, we, we got to calm down because we are in danger right now of being a threat to Rome. And so you see right here in 39, it says, but if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in a lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real cause for it, and in this connection, we will be unable to account for the disorderly gathering. After, this, after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And so you see him really covering all these things up and just, and once again, completely ignoring the gospel. He's just completely ignoring the gospel. And this is what really gets me fired up because when you read Ephesians and you go through Ephesians, you will see the, the, the message that Paul is preaching to the, to the Ephesians and you will see how much the, the gospel is really changing the lives of the, of the Ephesians. And you will see that not only is it changing the lives, it is Things that Paul is writing to these believers and writing to these new people in faith and writing to the town that, that you should live X, Y, Z. And these are things that will make the city better. And this city clerk completely ignored it. Because if, and if you want, if for proof, you can look at me in Ephesians 4, 25, 32. In Ephesians 4, 25, 32, Paul lays out all the ways a believer should be. And when he's laying this out, if, if, if the city clerk would acknowledge the gospel and do all these things, and even the Ajax and all these other people here that's shouting all these things, you will see that if Ephesus would, would be a, a better place from the, beginning, from the beginning, from ultimately surrendering their life to the gospel. And so Ephesians 4, 25, 32 says this, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. To, uh, do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that the so that he will have something to share with one who has a need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the amount, of the moment, sorry, excuse me, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, meaning do not suppress it. When you, when you have given your, given your life to Christ, don't suppress the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do his work within you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. And so this is what Paul is talking about. And this is what Paul has been preaching for two and a half years in Ephesians, to the Ephesians and in Ephesus. This is what he's been doing. This is the things that Paul has been working on in two and a half years. And it gets to this point because men and and people here in, in Ephesus were basically ignoring the gospel. And so, and as I close, the truth is we all at one point have to respond to the gospel. You see many different responses in this time to the gospel. You see from the beginning where Paul is preaching and you see people coming and, and they're getting healed. So you see, you see healing from the gospel. You see healing. You see restoration from the gospel. But you also see people that try to manipulate the gospel. You see the negative as well. You see people trying to manipulate it and use it for, the, for themselves. Or they try to use it for the glory. Or they try to use it for wealth or whatever they want to use it for. And then you also see the ones that are believers. You see people that already believe and they hear the gospel. And sometimes the gospel awakens in them again and they say, you know, I'm done with this. I want to give this up. I want to, do, I, I want to live for Christ totally. I surrender it all. And then you also see people that a negative way again where people oppose the gospel. And they say, you know, I want to I want to worry about my money. I want to worry about the lustful desires that I have. I want to worry about, you know, the idolatry that is in my life. I want to worry about all these things. And I place my identity in these things. And then you also have in another response of some people that have the response of, you know, just following the crowd and what the culture is doing. And then you also have the people that ignore it. And the truth is, there's no ignoring the gospel. If you ignore the gospel, you deny Ignoring the, ignoring the gospel is denying Christ. There's no in-between. There's no neutral ground. It's either you are or you're not. There's no, you know, playing the fence. There's no any of these things. I, I like to say it is like this. If, if you're on the, you got two teams on the field, either you're for this one or you're for this one. You can't be in the middle. You got to pick one, right? And how great would it be on the, to be on the winning team? And so at the end of the day, the gospel is going is to be the main thing that's going to set us free. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is the only thing that, that matters in this life. The fact that Jesus Christ would come, live a perfect life, and the fact that he would come down and, and, and subject himself to his own creation and, and, and literally walk this life and do it perfectly. And to, to reach out a hand to us to say, you know, I, I want you guys to be in with me. To the point that he was willing to lay down his life and down the, crowd, down the cross to raise again, to bring us with him, to have union, fellowship, and love, and abundance, and grace, to be united with Jesus and the Father, so we could come in union with him. That is a beautiful thing. And so the, I used to wear this bracelet all the time. I wish I had it on. At a, at a, I used to have this bracelet that had four symbols. It would be, the, it would be basically the love, the cross, and it would, be, it would be love, division, the cross, and a question mark. And these four symbols were simple. And this is the, the, the thing that it would say. It would say it would be an easy tool to share the gospel. God loved us so much that through creation and all these things, us as humans, the division, division sign, we cause a division through our own selfishness and our own sin. And what did God do about it? He provided a way for us through the cross through Jesus Christ. And the question mark is what is your response? Like, like we just talked about, everybody has a response. There's, there's no neutral ground. So what is your response to the gospel? I'm going to pray as I close up. And uh, Tyler's going to come up and uh, he's going to play as I pray. And uh, as I pray, I want you to connect with the Lord wherever you are. Think about, you know, what does the gospel mean to me? Have I allowed the gospel to fully work in my life? Have I allowed the gospel to, to be a public display for everybody to see? Is, 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 am I... Uh, person that flips the switch or am I a goddess or girl that's on fire for Christ all the time as I pray think about that and connect with the Lord and uh, worship the Lord as we uh, get ready to close up pray. Father we just love you right now Lord so much um, Lord we just are grateful for the opportunity to come before you Lord to lay down things that are in our lives Lord whether it be burdens Lord, whether it be uh, past sins or sins of the present, Lord, knowing that you are faithful 
and that you are so gracious to forgive us of all those. Lord, I pray that uh, as we sit here in these chairs, Lord, and we think about the gospel, Lord, that the gospel be planted so deep in our hearts that, Lord, it would awaken us. It would awaken us for you, Lord, to, to realize that we need you so much every day, Lord. Lord, I pray for the people in this room, Lord, that that this is something that it sparks a fire, Lord, to, to get them to, to, to you, Lord, to get them to want to share the gospel, to get them to want to go out and proclaim your name, Lord. And Lord, I pray that, that as we sit here and we worship and we think about you, Lord, that, that, Lord, you would work in our hearts, work in our minds. Lord, I pray that we would walk lockstep with you as we follow after you, Lord, and as you continue to guide us and as we mature. Lord, and maybe someone here isn't a believer right now, Lord. I pray for, for them to say, Lord, I'm done, Lord. I'm trying to figure this out by myself. Lord, and maybe they've heard the gospel multiple times, Lord, and I pray that at this moment that they surrender their life to you, Father. Lord, I, I, that was my story, Lord. I heard the gospel so many times, and oftentimes I, I just shrugged it off and I just ignored it. But I pray right now, Lord, that that they will come to you, Father, open-hearted and open-minded. Most of Lord, we thank you and we love you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.